Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. I'm waiting for you to announce your move into Texas or Florida or something. Yeah, it's coming. I don't know when just yet, but it's coming. I'm having to juggle two phones here. Tennessee may be in the mix too, huh? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Florida, Texas, Idaho, Tennessee, Georgia. Hung out with Shane Hazel in Georgia. By the way, if you're the praying sort, send some positive energy Shane Hazel's way. Dude's been having some situations going on with his back. He was a good guy. Hung out with him for a couple days out there. And uh, he's got a beautiful setup up there in the mountains. Very cool. He's a great example of a Bitcoiner. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Alex. Morning, Shane. How's it going? Doing good, man. Another amazing week ahead of us. I agree. It's a, it's a great time to be alive. Hey, by the way, Chris, I really enjoyed hearing last week your uh, some of your previous backgrounds. Kind of cool. I'm I'm actually in supply chain, so as I was hearing you talk about buying stuff and all that, that's, that's really interesting. Thanks. Yeah, that means a lot. Uh, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but uh, I'm pretty young, but I've had some experiences doing some uh, various things, so gives you perspective. Yeah, you get to bring those skills to the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah, no, that's that's been the, the biggest uh, pleasure for me and joy. It's been a lot of fun, you know, bringing the different perspectives and Learning as a community, I think that's one of the coolest thing about Bitcoiners. Uh, I know, I think we've we've mentioned this plenty of times, but um, in my journey, at least, uh, I know a lot of people say Bitcoiners are very toxic. But I remember very early on in my journey, like I was asking about other cryptocurrencies, not to shill my own bags. I'm just like, what's this Litecoin thing? What's Ethereum? And I I was asking it not in the sense of like, hey, like everyone should buy these. I was asking in terms of like, I really don't understand these. Can someone explain it? And I know personally, I was DMing some of the poor, more people that I thought were more toxic because uh, I thought that they would be the most honest with me, to be honest. That, that's just me. And they were like, hey, this is a scam and that you should look at this article or this thing or, or these. Um, basically, they were pointing me in directions to show me how to research why these things are good or bad or basically to draw my own conclusions. And I thought that was very helpful personally. Yeah, for sure. That was my experience as well. Like when I first started hanging around Bitcoin Twitter, you know, I was popping into spaces and I would run into guys that were very passionate, right? And (laughs) I've been trying to encourage people 
to be more patient with people who are new and who are learning um, and just have grace for where everybody's at because not everybody is in the same place, right? We all climb Mount Stupid. We all have to learn. We're all here to learn, I hope. And that was me. That I mean, I was I wanted to learn. And I have learned in the last eight months, nine months or so, so much from all the Bitcoiners. It's just, just been great. And uh, to all you guys out there who I've learned from, appreciate all of you. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great space. A lot of, lot of learning. Good to see Worth there. Worth, how's it going, man? Good morning. How are you, Shane? Hello, everybody. Hey, Alex. Good morning, brother. Good to see you guys. Morning, Tomer, Mike, Dark Tetrad. <laughs> What's up, guys? Worth, you need to come around more often, man. Man, thanks so much. I appreciate that. I've The last couple of weeks have been uh, pretty hectic, and I've tried to pop in every once in a while, but it's it's just, uh, you know, that day job sometimes just gets in the damn way. Stinking day jobs. <laughs> yeah. It's priorities. You got to mine that fiat to buy that Bitcoin. Hey, Mike, 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 the dark tetrad. Is there like a bright tetrad? Because I know these, um, the psychop. What, what were the four dimensions of dark tetradness? The psychopathy was one. I can't remember what the others even were, but I'm wondering if there's a flip side. Yeah, I honestly, I honestly can't even remember um, what the dark tetrad was. It was just like a ridiculous. I think it was like a Bloomberg article or something that like somebody wrote saying that like Bitcoiners were actually a dark tetrad. It was just like. <laughs> so, so I just oh, wow. run with it because Nick Nick Carter was also making fun of it too, and I was like, "Yeah, this is actual. This is just beyond ridiculous." Well, the funny thing is, in my experience, I think it's the exact opposite of that. You know, we were just talking about toxic maxis a little bit ago, and it's like, I think the actual toxic, the real, real toxic, toxic. Bitcoiners are very, very few, very few. And I'm not going to say there aren't some guys who are just kind of just jerks, you know, they're, I've run into a couple. But in my experience so far, the majority of Bitcoiners seem to be kind and patient and caring and just full of like positivity and happiness and love and energy. And it's just freaking awesome. So I don't know where these people are getting this information. Yeah, it, it was a real head piece. I, I just uh, Googled Dark Tetrad, and it is um, narcissism, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and sadism. Yeah, so that the, sounds uh, like me. <laughs> hey, Mike, you're just a big jerk. So it, it, it's, it, it is interesting because I, I, if I was to paint, I, don't, I, I might try to Google bright triad, but uh, narcissism, the opposite, of course, would be ego death, right, or egolessness, which Bitcoiners talk a lot about. Uh, psychopathy, Alex, what would you paint as its antithesis? You're big on studying psychopaths. Um, just somebody that's full of love, I guess. That would be you, Tomer. <laughs> uh, sadism. I know people think the opposite is masochism, but it is like it, instead of wanting to hurt somebody, not the opposite is not wanting to be hurt. The opposite is wanting Ooh, to benefit. You know other who people. the opposite? You know who the opposite of a sadist is? Is, is going to be a, a sheepdog. 
No, I'm hundred percent. Like instead of someone who enjoys causing pain to somebody, sheepdogs are the ones who protect people from those people. Okay, so there's a few there's a few the opposites, shepherds. right? Right, and then there's I mean, someone who enjoys giving pleasure to somebody as opposed to pain would be another dimension on which to be an opposite there. And then Machiavellianism, which as best as I would interpret that just from seeing the one word and not reading the article, is playing politics for power. And look at Bitcoin. It destroys politics for power, right? It's proof Ooh, of I love that. Proof of I love state. that. Yeah. So, it, uh, so, you know, it's always interesting that the people who attack Bitcoin do so by telling bigger and bigger lies um, and, and not supporting them with anything. But there's a truth in there because they they see the truth and they paint the opposite of it to the extent that they can, right? Like the, the whole environmentalism FUD is, uh, is this tremendous example of that where Bitcoiners, the ones I speak to are the most environmentally conscious of all. And, and they're not about let's destroy humanity to save the environment or let's cleanse the world of life because life is a cancer on the planet. They are, they are, how do we, live in harmony with nature how to live with both abundance and harmony with nature right not how do we just generate abundance right the, how do we generate abundance at the cost at the expense of the planet at the cost of the environment no it's a, like how do we generate more and more clean energy how do we so that we have abundance without damaging the planet how do we eat healthy food how do we how do we live at one with nature and, and make things that last for a long time so that we're not filling up garbage dumps with garbage that doesn't last. There's, there's this amazing mm. truth. When you read the people who are attacking Bitcoin, it, it, there, you, you can, like, um, you know, there's something to be said for someone who's always wrong, because if, if you actually know that someone's always wrong, you can find out the right answer by simply taking the negative of what they say. Is true. Yeah, and I and I think that there's something here about these larger attacks on Bitcoin and Bitcoiners that they're really so extreme. They're not random. They actually take a virtue of Bitcoiners and they attempt to distort it and invert it and say the exact opposite of it. Right. So that's I, what I, we I, call I, gaslighting. That's gaslighting. That's yeah. that's literally gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I love where this is going. Let's keep digging into it here. Really quickly, I want to say good morning to Gazala, Wicked, Ant, D. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Good morning. And to let everybody know who's new here, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. We talk about Bitcoin. We'll get into more of all the cool things about all of that here shortly. But let's keep going in this sort of train of thought. Like Before everybody hopped in here this morning, me and Shane were talking about this a little bit about how like bitcoin is the crucible of human character you know there's that saying bitcoin changes you well i think moving forward it's going to be about bitcoin defines you because you're going to see this playing field of political action where you know somebody said this the other day it was in our spaces last week somebody goes whether you understand it or not, Bitcoin is a mechanism for freedom. I think it was BJ Dichter was talking about a, a guy that's running for office there in Canada. And his platform is whether you understand it or not, Bitcoin is a mechanism for freedom. That really resonated with me because what it, it made me realize is, is that every politician in the future who stands against Bitcoin is really standing 
against freedom. Like if you're, you're standing against freedom, financial inclusion and financial security, because that's what Bitcoin gives to people. And as people are figuring this out over time, Bitcoin is going to define po political action. Like if you're a politician standing against Bitcoin, it's going to be obvious to the people that you are against freedom and you're against financial security and financial inclusion. Because people are not stupid. People are figuring this out. The more people understand what Bitcoin is, the more people are like, oh, that's what we can do with this thing. Yeah, like this to me is a perfect example of what's labeled as one of these dark tetrad dimensions, Machiavellianism, right? Which is how do you play politics to gain power for yourself? It's the politicians who stand against Bitcoin stand against people's ability to find freedom for themselves. They, they may even have some well-intentioned ideas, but they're in, they're, now their narcissism steps in. And it's like, you can have freedom, but only if I get the credit for it. It needs to be given to you by me rather than taken by yourself. Because, and this is the biggest problem we have with politicians, right? They're the narcissists in our world. They're the ones who think they can control everything, who think they can control the economy, who think they can reallocate all the resources of all the world and all of the, I, all of the intelligence that it takes to run any one of these industries in the world or any one of these businesses. They think they can do it themselves. That is narcissism, right? And they, and they are fueled by power lust, uh, which is the, the Machiavellianism. So I, yeah. and I, I do, right? So, and that's just like the first uh, two of, in, the, in this tetrad. Uh, whether they're psychopaths or sadists um, is, I don't think that applies to all politicians, but, uh, but certainly the Machiavellianism and the narcissism tend to delude them from letting nature take its course, letting people self-actualize and self-determine. Right? It's always, no, you, you, these are the rules that I made up and you're not to do these things and you are to do those things. And that's not the I, way. I think this all accurately describes Bitcoiners and Tomer. I don't know what you're talking about. Pure sarcasm, guys. Jesus, I didn't expect. That yeah, I, I, no, I, no, got I, that. I got that. I got that. We're all taught. We're all thinking. Like this is a deep <laughs> freaking subject. Like I caught it. I know everybody else caught it too. It's a Monday. Um, I'm still up. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool to me because Bitcoin is going to become the lens through which we can judge whether a politician is good or bad. And I'm not. <laughs> You got to be around a little bit to figure that part out, but it's a bit of an oxymoron, right? It's going to become super obvious over time. Super obvious. Like there's going to be ones who are, you know, the whole argument is red versus blue and, and conservative versus liberal and like, you know, this, that, and the other thing that, that these are these little tools that these people have figured out that they can use to divide people and get people fighting amongst each other so that they can kind of sleight of hand get away with all the freaking bullshit that they're doing. Yeah. I, I'd also say watch out. Like just – I know we're all so excited when some politician says, I'm in favor of Bitcoin. But you have to listen to what they actually say, right? Like many will say, I'm in favor of Bitcoin. Yeah. And then it, it's it's the same as um, altcoiners doing what Corey calls orange washing, right? Like they they align themselves, they 
create an affinity with Bitcoin. And then there, there's something else. So there was recently a, a politician who's running for office in the United States who has Bitcoin all over their uh, profile. Uh, but they they were in favor of sending long range missiles to the Ukraine. And I asked them, why, who's going to pay for these missiles? And are they actually going to end the war? And, um, and who's going to die at the hands of these missiles? And they blocked me. Uh, so oh, of I, course I, they did. Yeah, right? of course so they I, did. I, I found that like there was no disc, there was no attempt to have an honest conversation about. Well, you know, it's not the politician who's going to pay for it, right? He's going to tax you to pay for these missiles. So the American taxpayers are, are going to pay for it. Uh, people in Eastern Europe are going to pay for it with their lives. It's going to escalate the war, and uh, and don't bring Bitcoin into this thing is is kind of my thing because Bitcoin doesn't let you tax the Americans to kill the Europeans. There's well, no and, part and, of the Homer to yeah. like to make it even worse. Like when they're when we say they're taxing, they're using like they're taxing American citizens to pay for it. They're specifically they're they're taxing future citizens to pay for it. No well, they're taxing, taxing all of us. Now. They're taxing. Here's a really interesting comment that was made during this. And by the way, I encourage everybody to go watch this video. The Heritage Foundation talking about Bitcoin and the American experiment. One of the things he said that was like hit me like a, a brick was that the Fed is actually complicit in taxing Americans because every dollar that they add to the system is a tax and it's the most unfair tax possible because it hurts the people on the lowest end of the socioeconomic ladder the most. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was, I'm cleaning my desk right now. So I was a little bit away from my phone. I'll, so I'll put that video. Phone. Sorry, Mike, I'll put that video up in the nest because I, I agree it was really good. We should put it in the Telegram group as well. By the way, um, we have a Telegram group. If you want to participate in the discussion without coming up on the stage, you can. T.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. T.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Cynthia Lummis is uh, tomorrow, I believe, um, releasing her Bitcoin bill. It's a bipartisan, according to her, bill. But I, I mean, that's the understanding that has been worked on is it it's had industry review sailor has looked at it um she said something this morning that i thought was really interesting she's like i'm a patriot i want america to win thoughtfully embracing bitcoin and digital assets is how we win i i agree with her i think she gets it i think um and look i'm not i i want everybody to keep in mind you know always watch what they do not what they say always 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 be a critical thinker. Think for yourself. Don't question. I mean, question everything, and always be vigilant. I think we're getting to a point where you can start asking simple questions to determine where somebody stands. If it, I mean, this is give me some feedback here. Maybe there's a better question than than this. But if you were to ask a politician, can do you know the difference between proof of work and proof of stake? And can you explain it to me? That might be a pretty good way to tell whether they're full of shit or not. I'd ask them if, if they know what blockchains are good for. Okay, explain that one, Wicked. What are blockchains good for? Uh, they're good for, um, you know, the base money, and that's pretty much it. I mean, there's maybe, maybe 
like that's a hard maybe industrial uses for like internal blockchain use but that's a stretch right i mean i have i work for a company i'm not going to say who they're trying to do some blockchain stuff for supply chain you know whatever and like okay sure if you really want to do that go ahead i think you should probably use a database but um yeah i mean the blockchains we're talking about probably just money right and bitcoin is the only one that really makes sense because the whole point of a blockchain is that it's immutable right like the whole point of having a blockchain is so you can have a public record of something and it can't be changed and so bitcoin is really the only you know implementation of a blockchain that doesn't or i should say is 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 the least likely to ever be able to be changed right a 51 percent attack on bitcoin um is pretty much you know infeasible at this point um and all the other blockchains out there who claim to be sound uh have you know people in charge who can just do a rollback and change change the uh the order of transactions if they want right and they do this all the time mm, so maybe so it, maybe it makes no the word we should use maybe the word we should use here is manipulate not change because because to be fair it's changing every day every 10 minutes right but to manipulate right blockchain. i mean it, sure yeah it's being it's being appended alter manipulate sure yeah. yeah 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 totally all right peter good morning good morning i, I would leave it more open-ended um, I would just ask them how proof of work or proof of stake has uh, either positively or negatively impacted their lives. That's a very deep question. Hmm. Well, it, it, what it'll do is, I mean, by the, by the answer, you'll immediately be able to tell whether they understand what it is that you're talking about. And I mean, you know, Actually, I agree well, with Peter on that one because, like, the, if they understand like the dynamics of proof of stake versus proof of work, they'll understand that proof of stake is like a perfect parallel to the current like cancel on effect like fiat dollar system as far as like investing in the the wealth inequality gap. But politicians yeah, that's a, love that. <laughs> that's a deep question, actually. Shane, I would. I just wanted to go back to and first say I agree with regard to the blockchain thing, but uh, what I'm curious about is how do we then, and maybe the, maybe Bitcoin network is the answer, but there's a lot of other information, if you will, that we would arguably want to decentralize to where exactly like Bitcoin transactions cannot be altered. The network's immutable, all that, that we would also want other information to be literally available to anyone but yet where it can't be altered or changed. So I, I think that's a legitimate thing that we would want. I'm not saying I want it on another blockchain and maybe you can decentralize a database, but anyway. Yeah. I don't, I don't trust any of these politicians, not even any of these like pro Bitcoin politicians. I mean, I think that the question that I would ask them though, if I had to would be, you know, just, Tell me what you think of, uh, you know, Bitcoin's energy use. I think that's going to be the, the first point, my first principle with these guys. Mm, that's a good way to say it. What do you think of Bitcoin's energy use? Mm -hmm. 
or maybe a, a more direct way of my earlier question would just be, you know, what's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? And just have them try to lay it out for you. Yeah, that's another good one. A few of them are actually uh, capable of doing so, and I'm, I'm sure everybody here uh, agrees with that. But I had, um, this has been a few years back, but I had uh, uh, a prospective senator um, in my office, obviously looking for funds, um, and um, <clears throat> was a conservative. And I said, well, I said, why don't you just give me five minutes on monetary policy um, and your opinions of it. Um, and then I'll see how conservative you are. And this prospective senator could not even, couldn't even broach the subject of monetary policy. And, and that is, that is not uncommon. That's a that great question. Laugh or cry. <laughs> well, it's a great qualifying question, really. I mean, and it goes right to the crux of the matter, you know. It's like, uh, I think a lot of these folks actually have good intentions. Like, they're good people. They want to do good things. But if they don't understand the biggest scam that's ever been attempted on mankind, which is to say... <laughs> Fiat money is a good thing. Like inflation, they replaced the word currency devaluation debasement with the word inflation somehow. They got everybody to, you know, get on board with that scam. Yeah, I, I think there, we're oh sorry, Tomer. I just there's an expression that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think you can see it in in a lot of politicians' careers who like there are people who join politics with the intention uh, to do good. But when the only tool you have is force, right? Because that's what government is. Government is the threat of like pass rules that if people don't obey them, you will use force against them. You'll find, you'll take their money away. If they don't pay the fine, you will throw them in jail. If they don't go to jail willingly, you will kill them. And when that, when those are the limits of the tools at your disposal, everything you're doing is limiting somebody's freedom. And so like it's the, the, the freedom I'm making air quotes that you want to restrict is other people violating other people's freedom. And that's it, right? Like the mm. law needs to be here to prevent other people from initiating violence against other people, from initiating force and fraud against other people. But the minute you start with your good intentions, trying to reallocate wealth, uh, trying to fix an industry, trying to stop an industry, trying to do this, that, the other, you, f you find yourself in this feedback loop and, and of course you're trying to get elected so you're pandering to all sorts of interests that are asking you to do this uh, to make these interventions and i think that and then you find yourself on the road to hell and um and it's a really tough thing it's why i think so many of the most thoughtful and intelligent people in the world will not enter politics uh because they don't know mm. how to because there's no mechanism to really succeed and um, and I, I think that's what's so interesting about Bitcoin, because it doesn't care and will not comply with any order from any politician to alter the monetary policy, to redistribute wealth, to regulate industries. It just it is. And it's not so much, you know, that the that the um, that the tool is force. That's the that's the end tool. 
That's like the very end of the road tool, right? The question really is, though, how are the financial incentives aligned or misaligned? In other words, you cannot exert that force without financial resources, a.k.a a.k.a. energy. I mean, I'm very much along the lines of the way Sailor thinks about money. I, I, I think money is an embodiment of energy. Some people think that's a little too woo-woo. I would suggest go back to basic physics and, and go learn about that more if you think that's too woo-woo, if that's too outside of your Overton window, because we're constantly converting energy or in, at a very base level, human energy into money. That's, that's all economic activity. Essentially, and the truth is you cannot do those things, Tomer, without financial resources. You have to pay those agents. You have to those those firearms that they carry are actually an exertion of energy. How did those things get made? They didn't just magically appear. No, no magic unicorn showed up and like waves a magic wand. Then all of a sudden, all these federal agents now have firearms. Those things were manufactured. <laughs> How were they manufactured? There was an exertion of energy, right? All of those. Even the materials, let's say the metals, right? How did those things appear? They didn't just magically appear in the factory. Those things were dug out of the ground. Were they dug out of the ground? Energy. Peter, go ahead. I, I just wanted to say that I think I think as far as the question for the for the uh, politician, Worth is definitely on the right track because you know when I whenever I'm in a room and somebody comes up on stage and they have some things to say about crypto or Bitcoin or whatever, I always ask them, what is money? And I, I think that's a critical, that that's an easy, easy way to tell where, what, what somebody's understanding, not only of the, of the um, uh, financial system that we live in, but also it gives you a perspective on, you know, where, what they think and where they think things should go. Wicked's got his hand up, but I want to say something else. Good. Oh, I was, I was, I was maybe going to make a comment on um, some of the implications of deflationary money as it, you know, as it relates to influence and policy. But Tomer, go ahead, and then I'll follow up after you. Okay, this is kind of a, a fun comment. Um, you know, every every one of us, there's like five Bitcoiners on stage responding, and each one says, "Here's the question I'm going to ask a politician," and they're all different questions. They're all obviously related, um, but. They're, they're all different and they're hard questions. <laughs> they're like, how does a blockchain work? What is it used for? What is money? Where does energy come from? Like they're, they're, and I'm reminded of um, uh, the story of Socrates, who was kind of the first great philosopher. He's the first of the greats. And he would stand in the town square and question and badger people to the point where he was executed for it, right? Like he, he was given a choice um, by the, elders of the community or by the, the by the politicians in charge and they said you've got to stop asking people all these questions you're driving them crazy and um and will you do it and he said there's a very famous line of his but most people don't know he said it he said the unexamined life is not worth living and he didn't just say it as kind of like a philosophical statement that was his response to are we're going to put you to death if you don't stop asking people's questions. And he said, the unexamined nice. life is not worth living. So he surrendered his life and he, he drank hemlock. He, he poisoned himself. He, um, and was super, you know, it was witnessed, um, by Plato and, 
and other philosophers. And uh, it's just like, look at the Bitcoiners here on stage asking these deep questions and expecting their politicians to have answers. Our politicians don't expect to be asked tough questions. They expect to walk around and make promises that they don't have any clue how to keep. They haven't even thought how to keep it. I'll balance the budget. I'll make I'll forgive all the debts. I'll like I'll, I'll create magic out of thin air. When so when asked an actual question like what is something? How does it work? They're not ready for that. Uh, so it, it's what comes around goes around. It takes us right back to the dawn of uh, recorded philosophical thought in that sense. And and Tomer, real quick, just to like add on to that before Wicked goes, like in my opinion and in my experience, the Socratic method is one of the most effective ways of teaching, which is makes it all pretty pretty dark and pretty hilarious at the same time. Ironic, I guess would be a better word. Yeah. All right. So this this idea has been on my mind recently. Um, I've been kind of just thinking about the implications of deflationary money and what it means for for everybody, um, you know, on an individual level, on a societal level. And one of the things that um, I kind of realized after just playing around with the math is there, you know, there's like a there's an amount of savings that you need in Bitcoin and it's, it's continuously falling, but there's an amount that you need, um, that would allow you to live, you know, to, to basically fund household expenses, your household expenses indefinitely, right? Assuming that Bitcoin continues to be deflationary, um, forever. Right. I mean, which is kind of the whole, the whole point. So, you know, with, with, with some simple math, you can kind of like estimate, if you think Bitcoin, you know, post hyper Bitcoinization is going to have a deflation rate of 5% or 10%. And I'm talking about like increase in purchasing power, you know, like a yearly increase in purchasing power. When I, when I say deflation, um, you can calculate how much Bitcoin you need, like the starting amount to fund your household forever. Like you, you pass down, you know, you, you pay for your whole household as you're, you know, as you're alive and then you pass down what you have left. And then your children pay for their household when they're alive and they pass on what they have left. And it goes on forever because, you know, the, the cost of living continues to get cheaper and cheaper. And so your starting amount never actually runs out. But one of the interesting effects of this idea is that people who have, you know, exorbitant, like, like giant amounts of Bitcoin, right? Like the Michael Saylors of the world and, and, and others, um, they are going to have basically a starting amount of Bitcoin, which allows them to fund whatever they want indefinitely until the end of time. And the starting amount that they have kind of dictates the expense, like the, the, the cost of whatever it is they want to fund forever. But I mean, you could imagine, you know, somebody malicious with a lot of Bitcoin who could fund something forever. I mean, this is a kind of an interesting idea. What, and, and, and I guess the other, yeah, I, I will say after kind of going down this rabbit hole of thought for a while, I realized that one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is that in order for Bitcoin to remain deflationary, or in other words, for the purchasing power to continue increasing, you need global productivity and, you know, human well-being to also increase. I mean, this is what 
would directly contribute to the the increase in purchasing power, I believe. And so these larger entities who have all the Bitcoin or who have a lot of it, uh, it will be in their best interest to make sure that productivity continues increasing and that humans continue to flourish so that (laughs) the remaining (laughs) savings continue to go up in value. So, you know, maybe maybe the incentives are aligned such that even though they can influence policy and influence society, uh, you know, with this great degree of, of, uh, of, of, I don't know with, they can, they can, you know, steer society in a direction with a great degree of influence that they have, you know, maybe they'll, they'll do it in a way that actually benefits everybody because that in itself would benefit them. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Have you guys thought about the implications of deflationary money very much? <laughs> I mean, I've certainly, I've certainly wondered, how much, you know, I'm going to need to, to basically have it be legacy. I don't, um, obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, I don't personally want to present a, uh, in a way where, you know, my kids and grandkids and all that can just sit around and do nothing that, that comes more with hopefully being the best influence possible. Obviously we want people to still contribute and add value right to the world, even if they don't, have uh even their financial needs are taken care of but um yeah it's an interesting thought i I think the thing when you talk about generational wealth people often assume that wealth is static even in the course of bitcoin and for let's say just in the sense of a family but you could you could imagine there's an idea that you want to perpetuate but let's just say it's a family in order for your wealth to be handed down for multiple generations, it doesn't mean that you have to start with a lot. It means that each generation has to learn how to deal with it responsibly. And you could hand 100,000 Bitcoins to somebody who's a fool and they'll convert it into some shit coin and they'll be out of money like that. Um, it'll, it'll all go. So the generational aspect, the legacy aspect of wealth means finding someone worthy and creating someone worthy of the money so that they can sustain it. Otherwise it will not sustain, you know, it'll get spent, it'll get blown, it'll get lost, whatever ends up happening. Um, So there's this responsibility, again, there's this responsibility. There's no bailout in Bitcoin and there's no bailout for your future heirs either. If they're irresponsible, they need to learn to be intelligent, responsible, productive. Even if you hand them a hundred thousand Bitcoins, it, you know, through, through some mechanism. So I, I, I kind of want to point that out because I think people think about generational wealth and they think, Oh, I want to make life easy for my heirs. And money is not something that makes life easy for your heirs. In many cases, if you've studied the descendants of billionaires, there's another expression uh, from the early 1900s or late 1800s. It's from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, which was basically the observation that everyone who made a fortune self-made started off in just shirt sleeves um their grandkids ended up in shirt sleeves again because they lost it so it's, it's the same idea as the cycle of hard times make for strong men strong men make for good times good times make for weak men weak men make for hard times it's there's this other similar thing that happens with the passing on of wealth i don't want to go on about it too long unless people have questions about it but there's no shortcut you cannot buy judgment you cannot buy self sovereignty you cannot buy responsibility no matter how much money you have you have to handle it responsibly 
So what it makes me think of is Bitcoiners today who are going through that crucible, so to speak, the crucible of Bitcoin changes you, changes your character, changes your discipline, changes your values in terms of what you think is important. Are you out there being um, the typical fiat consumption person where you're buying a bunch of shit you don't need to impress people you don't even like versus doing the discipline thing and saving for future generations? You know, maybe part of inheritance planning for Bitcoiners down the road means that somehow future generations have to also go through the crucible. I don't know. There has to be a way to measure it. You know, when you do legacy planning nowadays, a lot of times there's tests that have to be passed before wealth is released to future generations, right? They have to just demonstrate that they can manage certain things with their life. And that only comes with experience and character. So it's an interesting, um, interesting thought experiment there. It's like a coin smart contract to me. <laughs> smart contracts will not solve for stupid people. I think Tomer's, oh, sorry, Wicked. I was just going to say, I mean, w w one thing that I, I am pretty you know, excited about or, or happy about is sailors. Um, you know, it seems like he, he has kind of like a goal of providing free education for the whole world uh, indefinitely. And I think <laughs> with his, with his stack, he, he probably, he probably will be able to do that. Like they'll, there will reach a threshold after which, you know, he'll be able to indefinitely fund that cause uh, and then you know and then education is free for everybody all around the world i mean he already has sailor academy which is pretty good but like i can imagine that just expanding to the point where it encompasses all facets of education um but go ahead Peter. as, as mm, long as he doesn't end up with a narcissist in charge of that institution a generation two or three or four from now right right because if he does, someone, it, it could end up providing terrible education, miseducation, or blowing its fortune on some uh, cockamamie ideas that, that end up destroying everything. So like the human responsibility is never gone from, is never gone from this. And so it, setting up an institution that doesn't become corrupted is that will always remain the challenge. Anytime you're Okay, well, here's, here's the thing, though. This Bitcoin changes this too. Why? Because... In a, in a Bitcoin economy, right, it's a meritocratic system as opposed to a fiat system. A fiat system is a parasitic system. You know, whoever's closest to the money printer gets to suck off of the energy and time of all the other humans in the ecosystem, right? And they do that. It's, it's an unfair thing. It's like what we were talking about. Politicians who are intentions get into that system and they realize what they're up against they're like oh my gosh i have n i do not have the power to change the entire global financial system that's based on dishonest money what the hell am i going to do but if you have a meritocratic system where it's a crucible like your character is actually detected by the money right it spits you out if you're a scumbag Wow. 
I don't know. We're, I mean, just I'm totally spitballing here, but what a cool potential future. Go ahead, Wicked. Yeah, and not only that, but, but you know, I hate to say it, but Bitcoin in the future, right? If, 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 if Bitcoin is all there is that represents value, then um, people's, you know, gains in productivity or, or, or success uh, is, is kind of socialized in a way because when somebody invents something and adds value to the world and that value is captured by the Bitcoin network, right, the 21 million Bitcoin that there are, then it actually raises the value of all of our Bitcoin. So I win if you win, you win if I win. It makes cooperation and 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 kind of like, uh, I don't know, this idea of, of, of like a global economy just take off, I think. Like it has these implications which are really difficult to wrap your head around. But, but I mean, can you imagine if, you know, you're competing with somebody and they win, but because they win and are successful, then the Bitcoin that you still have saved goes up in value. I mean, that's just such a weird idea. Um, yeah. And I, I, it, yeah, I don't, I don't it know makes you want to root for your fellow man's success. Right? Yeah. 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 For real. hundred percent. Rather yeah, than jealousy and, support. Yep. Again, uh, not a dark tetrad characteristic. And then the other but thing a, is a hundred years, a hundred years in the future. You know, when the human race is a spacefaring race and Elon's got us going all over the freaking solar system and beyond, you know, there will be the forever endowment of the Sailor Academy <laughs> that teaches the human race. I don't know. We're, we're concocting science fiction as we go here, but I like it. The other interesting, Definitely. the other interesting kind of thing is you can imagine a future where you invest some Bitcoin in an idea because if that idea becomes successful even if it doesn't have any sort of return on investment it could add enough value back to the system that your savings that you have left over become more valuable than the bitcoin you originally invested and this obviously would have a larger effect for larger holders so i mean people who have hundreds of thousands of bitcoin would be incentivized to invest in good ideas with you know smaller amounts so that the remaining bitcoin actually increases in purchasing power you know let's not amazing uh, thoughts let's do this peter i know you want to go and then we've got i'm also want to welcome up bitcoin governor we're going to have you go here in just a second let's hit some announcements real quick you're listening to cafe bitcoin good morning and welcome if you've never been here before we talk about bitcoin we do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. It is the place to get your morning news. Also, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. This is a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Very excited that day, the second hour of the show, we're going to have Natalie Brunel on. And she's going to talk to us about her new show, Hard Money. This show is being produced by Swan Studios in collaboration with Bitcoin Magazine. It's going to be the highest quality Bitcoin show on the planet. Uh, super excited to find out more about that from Natalie today. And then lastly, my name is Alex Danzig. I'm your host. I work with Swan Bitcoin. Uh, if you want to put Bitcoin on your business balance sheet, Swan Bitcoin is a great way to do it. We have some of the fastest onboarding in the industry. 
also um i work particularly in the small private division if you are high net worth ultra high net worth you want to take a large position in bitcoin and you want to have some of the best experts in the industry industry excuse me guide you step by step all along the way that's really what swan private is it's it's a doorway into a partnership with, with a very deep bench of experts that will teach you anything you need to know you know whether you want to talk about entry strategies inheritance planning um custody self-custody multi-sig all that kind of stuff we're here for you and uh we would love to have your six so to speak all righty uh peter go ahead first of all i want to say that i am almost done moving my uh keys off of my ledger and and uh onto my cold card and um what a pain in the ass coin control is, but ultimately I, 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 I'm assuming it's going to be worth it. Um, what I wanted to say was, is that, uh, you know, we have to remember that failures are oftentimes just as important, if not more important than successes. So, you know, when we talk about people, um, doing things that, uh, that don't work out, we, we, we have to make sure that, you know, we separate the fool that uh, that Tomer talks about with uh, with the honest guy that just has an idea and it fails and you know it takes it takes work uh, and it takes value to um, be able to create those failures along with those successes. Yep, well said. Uh, welcome up, Bitcoin Governor. First time I think we've had you up here. Good morning. You have to unmute yourself if you want to speak. Yes, sir. Good morning. Um, anybody catch uh, Majid Nawaz's article this morning? I, I found that to be informative and somewhat frightening. Um, he was talking about uh, Yuval Harari's uh, dataism and how it's uh, using mass tech surveillance to further the global agenda. So with that in mind, I, I bring news from the tech industry. Uh, I work at one of the large IT providers, and the rumble is that as the VMware gets brought up by, bought up by Broadcom, that the AI initiatives and the cloud initiatives will be used to begin to impose surveillance uh, upon the general populace. Um, Suffice to say, I think that dangerous to the Bitcoin community in general, just due to the centralizing factors. But I, I wonder how to resolve this in a way that, you know, doesn't result in shit hitting the fan. Um, so, you know, as far as like, you know, mining and, you know, companies using the trapped energy resources, I wonder if there's an equal call to have something personal in the home, you know, uh, some kind of standardized low power Bitcoin node that, uh, you know, is easy to repair, easy to make, easy to uh, teach people about to kind of head off that centralization and keep some power and data sovereignty in the hands of the users. Um, I know Umbral is working toward that very thing. So I wonder what everybody else's thoughts are on uh, the situation there. I mean, I'm sure you know you can, and maybe you're talking about something different. You can literally run a node on a old laptop, which is what I do. So uh, true, I know that. I, I just worry in the long term, as you know, 
hardware fizzles out and devices become obsolete, whether increasing prices due to inflation will result in moving up the point of entry for that. Um, so I don't know enough about how Bitcoin regulates that aspect to know if that's going to become a problem or if it just looks scary because it's still a bit in the future. Yeah, I think it just looks scary, you know, personally, because it's all a matter of um, the thing about that's interesting about Bitcoin is, is that it helps you prioritize life, in my opinion, you know, and what could be more important than making sure that the uh, your time, your efforts, your labor isn't just wasted or stolen by somebody else. That's really what Bitcoin does. So at the end of the day, it's kind of like you think about it in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Human beings are compelled to satisfy the lowest needs first. You need a roof over your head. You need protection from the elements. You need water. You need food. You need safety, right? You need protection. So this is the reason why you see firearm sales skyrocketing because people are thinking about that kind of stuff. As soon as people think about that kind of stuff, their priorities shift, right? And the further we go down this pathway of inflation and the fact that the entire culture is having a discussion about money. I mean, what is front and center right now in front of Congress? The Bitcoin bill. The entire population is talking about this right now for the first time. I never, uh, being honest, I never expected humanity to have this conversation in my lifetime. I've been an advocate of honest money ever since I knew what it was, ever since I figured out that inflation steals your time. It's a dishonest tax on humanity. It benefits the people at the very top while punishing people at the very bottom. Yeah. I mean, from, uh, from the day I figured that out, I was like, man. We need honest money. I never thought we'd have this conversation, but we are. Yeah. Um, so with increasing energy prices, you know, as a techie, I, I always see the benefit of moving to, you know, decentralized nodes, more nodes using lower power just because it, you know, one makes the network more secure, um, but it also reduces the cost of energy load on the individual user. So, you know, that's another angle that I approach this from is that, you know, I think we should have an eye toward making Bitcoin hardware more energy efficient just so that we can preserve that um, comparison to the cost of energy, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But the reason I was saying that it, it's it's not a it's like a boogeyman under the bed. I don't think it's a bit that big of a concern because that, that kind of thing is already happening. I mean, look at what people prioritize. Like, do you have a microwave in your home? I would actually know. I, no, guess, I got yeah. rid of mine. Do, do, do you, okay, well, in general, I'm talking about people, right? Do you have a refrigerator? Do you have a dishwasher? Do you have all of these gadgets that really arguably are not necessary for human life? Refrigerator probably is, but there's lots of stuff you have appliances in your home. You know, the question becomes, well, is somebody going to spend a couple hundred bucks to maintain their financial sovereignty? I think the answer to that in the future is going to be, well, hell yeah. I don't know who's next, Wicked or Tomer. Wicked? I was just going to say, um, and, you know, maybe it's not like the best thing to say in this conversation, but like running a node or running running a Bitcoin miner, uh, paying for these electricity costs has never been cheaper when priced in Bitcoin. And <laughs> they'll just keep getting more, you know, more and more cheaper. 
right? Like it's it's getting cheaper and cheaper to run a Bitcoin node if you price it in Bitcoin. And that's the same, you know, the same thing goes for anything in the world, really. But like that's something that's interesting, right? Like it's never been cheaper mm. to run your own node when you price it in terms of Bitcoin. It's going to get cheaper and cheaper as time goes on. And so if you're saving in Bitcoin, then, you know, that goalpost will come towards you, uh, as will every other goalpost in life. Yeah, if you're new to Bitcoin, here's the thing. It's not too late. It's not too late. You can buy 3,173 sats for one United States dollar right now. Start small if you have to. That's okay. Increase your cash flow if possible. Mine more fiat if possible. Reduce your expenses. The delta that you create in the middle, use it to stack Bitcoin. Five years from now, it will change your entire life. My opinion. Go ahead, Tomer. Whoops. Uh, there we go. Uh, you know, the question started with um, this notion that Yuval Harari, the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus, has about um, dataism, where he actually envisions not just the existing amount of data collection being aggregated and analyzed by artificial intelligence, but like he wants data that he wants us to insert microchips into our bodies to con to continuously monitor and aggregate all this data. Um, I don't I don't know whether he considers how dangerous the potential consequences of that are because he sees kind of these short term uh, potential benefits of of being able to better monitor your health, uh, for example. Uh, but the the solution to all of this um, surveillance of everything, and he wants to like surveil every cell in your body, is is kind of threefold. One, one is keep the information, in, like if the information's public, keep it from being identified to you. Second is keep the information private and I'll, maybe I, I don't have a lot of time, so I might not even get into the third. But the the ways encryption answers both sides of these things, right? Like on Bitcoin, all the information is public, but it's not tied to you if you practice decent, if you have decent practices. Um, so there's all this information out there, but nobody can know that it's you. The other side of this is run is don't rely on centralized services and the whole Internet. Um, and I think this is the big revolution that's coming, which is beyond Bitcoin, but it, it's kind of Bitcoin's a part of this ecosystem, which is the personal computer revolution came, but it hasn't completed yet, which is we all ended up with, you know, we've all everyone here has is on has a powerful supercomputer that they're holding in their hand. It's hand sized, battery powered, wireless operated. But most of the computing is not being done on that device. All the data is being stored. All the processing is being done in these centralized data warehouses. Uh, data centers where it's Twitter, Amazon, Facebook, Google, the U.S. government that owns these data centers. And and so until because we rely on servers, until we bring servers, complete the personal computing revolution by each having our own personal servers. This is the this is the problem. And this is what's led to all of this. Um, all of this terrible stuff with everyone becoming radicalized by artificial intelligence algorithms that are designed to optimize the advertising efficacy of Google or, or Facebook. And so it's coming. Uh, it, it's easier than ever to run a server at home. It doesn't even need a monitor or a keyboard. It's just, you know, you can run these on Raspberry Pis and increasingly more powerful computers. And there's a few companies, not surprisingly, all attached to Bitcoin 
that are starting to develop these things. And so I think what we're going to see over the course of the next decade, at, both as Bitcoin becomes the global reserve currency and as, as decentralization, actual decentralization expands, um, and it doesn't have to be on blockchains. Like there's this misnomer. Um, BitTorrent, for example, is decentralized file sharing. There's no blockchain involved in it, right? And we've all seen it, or most of us have, have probably seen it. So all of these decentralized applications are going to come. You'll be able to run them yourself, self-sovereign. Uh, they, won't, they won't have a token associated with them. Or the token will be Stoshis. Uh, and, and you will be able to take back your data, keep it private when it's yours, or, or de- or, or, or anonymize it, separate it from your identity, and you'll be able to not have to worry about someone else using all this information, and and you won't have to worry about the incentives and the business models of all the companies that provide you with digital services uh, being to manipulate you and sell you advertising you know, and sell advertising that gets you to buy certain things. So I think we're headed in a really great direction. It's going to take time. I encourage people to try to learn more more about these things. Uh, Bitcoin is definitely the greatest place to start. Um, and uh, maybe I just kind of leave it at that because this this is maybe a topic for a whole other conversation. And I see we've hit the turn of the hour and I see Natalie in the audience. Hey, I was just going to say real quick that uh, we had Start9 uh, on here, uh, what, a month, two months ago? I don't forget when it was. And they're, they are doing exactly that. They've, they've created a very easy to use. I'm, I'm hoping it's very easy to use because I'm a kind of a Luddite um, server that gives you the privacy and the, the network that um, uh, that we're that we're talking about. So, yeah, Tomer, that's exactly yeah, correct. I have their, I have their device and it's, it's early days, but it's 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 a wonderful machine. It runs it runs the whole Bitcoin stack the whole lightning stack. And it runs a number of other self-sovereign applications like your own file, your own encrypted file server running over onion your own instance of mastodon which is like a decentralized version of twitter that you can connect with something called matrix and it's all getting better all the time so it's still early there's not like a you know the audience is obviously all still on twitter um and slack and other things like that but there are decentralized alternatives to this and you can author your own documents without google's ai's reading it and sending you advertisements about it uh, as you start to create these things and still have access to all your files anywhere in the world. So this is all coming. Something that's exciting in addition to that is, is that this transition towards, um, you know, we went from push media, which was basically major news networks and cable television pushing sort of programming out to people. And that shifted to, to on demand where people are like, instead of, you know, sort of going to these networks and being fed information. It's more like, I want this information and we get to choose where it's coming from. And then the new model that's coming, I think, is going to be um, value for value, right? This whole system of instead of paying, um, you know, like a $10 subscription a month or whatever it is for Wall Street Journal, if you just want to pay 50 cents to read the article, you can do that. And then you can stream sats to content that you're interested in so you're gonna have real-time monetization of all this stuff on a very micro payments level it's pretty cool stuff so you mean i don't have to pay a hundred dollars for direct tv anymore right i can just pick the channels or or shows i want to watch or on the day <laughs> hopefully are you seriously come back i was gonna say are you seriously still paying for direct tv dude no i don't 
I canceled it a while back. Pretty exciting. That was, but... some, that was some Texas sarcasm there. I know. I had to give him a hard time for it. So it's pretty exciting. The direction of media, speaking of the direction of media, we now have Natalie Brunel up here on stage. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Um, some really cool stuff. So most people, I think, in Bitcoin or who have been around Bitcoin have seen Natalie. She's um, very prominent. I'm going to say a couple of nice things about her for those of you who like want to give me a hard time about that because it's almost like, you know, I've seen this weird phenomenon in Bitcoin circles. Sometimes you say something nice about someone like Natalie and then people give you a hard time about it because, I mean, she's Natalie. I'm just going to say to those people, screw off, like a couple of things. Natalie came from a professional network television background. She left that, which was incredibly brave. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that story to start working in Bitcoin. And because of her background and her connections in the industry, she gets featured on major network television news on occasion. And I have to say that in my opinion, some of the um, points that you make, because I know you have very limited amounts of time, unlike this kind of format where we can kind of just talk, but you get very limited amounts of time. You have to make extremely precise and cogent points. And you are an incredible spokesperson. Not that there is any spokespeople for Bitcoin before any of you freak out about that. Like, she's the person on the news, okay? You're not, so shut up. She's doing the job. Right. And, and it's good. Like I, from what I've seen, it's good. It's a very good representation of what Bitcoin is. Um, so awesome. Kudos to you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And that, that's funny because you're right. Uh, one time I think Michael Saylor tweeted uh, like Bitcoin has a new spokesperson about one of my news hits and woof, people got really mad about that comment. But uh, no, I, I, I'm just really grateful because I feel like I've always believed in that statement um, when preparation meets opportunity, that's luck. And, and people have said, oh, you're really lucky. You know, you're you're doing this stuff for Bitcoin. Well, I prepared for 10 years. I was working in local and national news markets and, and really saw how the sausage is made when it comes to mainstream news networks and television. So I'm taking those skills that I use that I was honestly pretty, pretty jaded about by the time I was, I was ready to transition. I just felt like I wasn't, I wasn't fulfilled and I wasn't doing the type of work and stories I really wanted to be doing anymore. Um, and then I, and then I decided to pivot to Bitcoin and it's been the most rewarding transition to that type of media but uh, i mean we're going to be talking about hard money there's really not a show <laughs> to work on about bitcoin it's not like you know i was gonna go to cnbc and be, be their bitcoin correspondent so i basically created my own media platform through my podcast and now um what i'm really excited about is swan is starting this new weekly news show which i think is really needed in the space because as you mentioned i've been going on these news networks um that are mainstream and 
national, some of them international. And some of the anchors are getting getting to understand Bitcoin a little bit. But for the most part, I mean, I get asked questions that conflate Bitcoin with crypto and the anchors are just so, so, so negative. They want to, you know, have that gotcha moment and they just they're they don't understand what we understand. And so I think that there needs to be a news show. There's a gap in the in the market for a news show that is done by people who understand Bitcoin that focuses on the developments in the space, but also bridges over to the economy at large and the macro environment that we're seeing and how everything interplays and how really, you know, if we fix the money, we fix the world. So, uh, so I guess I'll, I'll start there. I don't know if you want to ask any specific questions, but I'm really happy to be chatting about it this morning. Yeah, I think it's pretty fantastic in general. Um, this show is is being produced by Swan Studios in collaboration with Bitcoin Magazine. My understanding, it's going to be one of the highest production value shows to date in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I'm super fired up about it. We have needed, my opinion, it's about damn time the Bitcoin ecosystem has a um, a high production news show like this. And uh, someone like yourself, I think, is perfect to head it up. And uh, tell us a little bit about how this all came to be. Like, how did this start? Yeah, I'm so, so, so excited and grateful. You're right. This is Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine. So you'll be able to find it on Bitcoin Magazine's YouTube page. And that's where it's going to be distributed. It's going to be once a week. And it's going to be very digestible, about 20 minutes or so long with all the latest headlines and news developments, as well as original reporting. So um, this kind of started to come together actually late last year. I was, I was on the phone with, with the CEO, Corey Clipston of Swan Bitcoin. And we just, you know, we're talking about my background, my passion, their desire to kind of beef up more content, because as you mentioned, there really needs to be a high production value show that blends the news with analysis with with really, you know, beautiful stories because around the world as adoption takes place, I think that there are amazing human narratives that need to be captured and really haven't been. And with social media and, um, and YouTube and, and the amazing technology that exists now, you can capture those stories very um, beautifully and cinematically. So we actually spent the beginning of the year traveling. So um, I, I'm working with a great team, Brecky over at Swan, Michael Oceans, uh, uh, Brady, just an amazing team of people and we've been traveling to different countries and basically putting together stories so i got to travel to el salvador twice to see what bitcoin adoption how bitcoin adoption has been unfolding there um, we traveled over to lynn alden's house we went to visit riot blockchain mining so these are some examples of the stories that you'll be seeing um so they're original reports and yeah so when you tune in it'll be news headlines for about 10 minutes and then and then a live interview every single week with a, a special guest some of them will be bitcoiners some of them will not be some of them will be talking about macro some of them will be talking about new technology developments on lightning i mean we're gonna we're gonna hit all the most important topics and then you're gonna see really cool stories from around the world so i'm super super pumped and uh and i hope everyone gets value out of it I think maybe uh, one of the best uses of the platform is going to be helping to to counter some of the nonsense that we actually do see in the large networks and, and on the news. Um, you've gone on some of these shows. You've made some really great points. What do you think in your sort of experience dealing with these 
what's what's like the biggest challenges to overcome i mean i know certain narratives that are kind of out there in the mainstream that are just plain wrong mostly people just don't understand what we're dealing with here people like you mentioned confuse bitcoin and all the other things yeah um what what are the biggest challenges and what's the best ways to to overcome this stuff in your view yeah, well, I mean, one of our biggest priorities was to make this a Bitcoin only show. So, you know, when I go on the news, I typically get asked questions that are about crypto <laughs> and, you know, why is Doge falling and what, you know, uh, whether these meme coins are, are going to take off again. And so I, I answer those questions because I'm asked them on live television, but I'd obviously like to always focus the attention back to Bitcoin and what's happening with our economy and why the financial system is broken. And so that's what the focus of this show is going to be. And we're going to take the opportunity to address some of the, the FUD that exists, whether news articles come out about, let's say, Bitcoin mining energy use. Well, we're going to take the opportunity to break some of that down using statistics that exist that show maybe the other side that mainstream news is not picking up on. Um, and, and, I, and what's important to me, too, is to be really fair and balanced, because you know what, just because this is Bitcoin does not mean that everybody's perfect in this space. There's going to be some bad actors, I'm sure there's going to be controversies that come up and we want to tackle all of that from a really fair and balanced way so that you get the information that you need. Um, of course, we would have covered a story like the Tuna, Luna Terra breakdown. And I just think it's important to have a place where you can go to whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're a veteran to get solid information about what's happening with some, you know, contextual analysis from the experts. And so um, I think it's going to be a really great show. But, but yes, totally what's been challenging is going on some of these programs and being asked questions that make me, you know, realize very quickly that the anchor or the production team just doesn't really understand this asset class, doesn't understand the technology, doesn't understand the potential, doesn't maybe even understand money. Um, and I'm doing my best to just be constructive and cheerful and help them down, down that path. Um, and I will say, actually, not a lot of people know this, but with all the programs that I've been on, I have volunteered to just take some time away from uh, on my own time to, to educate the production members and the anchors just say, hey, like if you want a 45 minute hour long breakdown of what is Bitcoin, you can ask me any question. I would love to take the time to do it. And no one has taken me up on it, guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's interesting. Well, you know, it's front and center now. It's yeah. definitely front and center now. Senator Lummis has uh, got the new Bitcoin bill coming out. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, we were talking about this like last week, how in the Wall Street Journal, there's been eight class action lawsuits against the major exchanges requesting that the courts actually define the difference between, um, you know, or determine whether a lot of these altcoins are actually securities or not. Mm -hmm. So this issue is going to be decided soon. Mm -hmm. And um, the regulatory framework is going to be put in place soon. Mm -hmm. So that actually is going to change the game quite a bit, I think. What do you think about all that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the, the stories we're going to be following very closely is how regulation is going to unfold all the, the different cities and countries that are, are, are moving in the direction of legalizing Bitcoin, um, the, the politicians that are, are, are running on those platforms, and we're going to hold them more accountable. You know, one of the reasons why I started to become jaded with my 
with my career in news is because I felt like at some point there was a turn and we were no longer holding government officials accountable and holding their feet to the fire. At some point, I felt like the networks that I was working for, at least if you like filtered it up to the top, the, 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 the network that maybe owned the, the smaller channels, they basically were just mouthpieces for the government. And that was frustrating to me because I always felt like one of the reasons I wanted to pursue journalism is it was that you know, extra branch that, that was the watchdog that made sure that laws were being followed, that government officials were being um, ac accountable and, and noble. And I felt like that wasn't happening as much. And I also, I also witnessed, you know, one of the things I've written about too is just the polarization. I mean, when you're a journalist and you're covering stories, you're, you're seeing like on a micro level, the things that most impact society, the things that are really breaking down. And when I learned about Bitcoin, I connected the dots and I was like, oh my God, this is because of our crumbling financial system where we're getting to this point of the end of this, like, fiat cycle and this is why there's so much pain and frustration and it really plays out in 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 the real world it's why we see poverty increasing it's why we see more homelessness it's why we see political corruption and those are all things that i reported on and so i'm taking that lens and i'm able to sort of reframe that experience with the knowledge that i've been able to gain about bitcoin and we're always constantly learning which is so beautiful about this space and now we have the opportunity to tell some really meaningful stories that for me now, I, I don't feel jaded anymore. I feel hopeful. I'm like, this is this is a potentially much better future for you know the generations to come if we address these these really important crux issues of society that have to do with money and economy. That's so fantastic. I'm so excited to hear you say that because that's so much what we need. Like what you said, you know, there was a time, and I can remember this when I when I was younger when when journalists, their job was to identify the injustice occurring in society and, and shine a spotlight on it. Okay. And at some point, I think you're right. Like most mainstream news turned into mouthpieces um, and were basically hiding things, covering things up um, instead of shining a light. And uh, I can, I can kind of relate to, your feelings on it because I, I consider myself to be what's called a sheepdog. So I joined the military because I, I, I'm, it's my nature to want to protect people. And you, you kind of have a similar, I think track, but in a different industry. And it's very exciting to me to see, to see that you're going to have this platform to talk about this stuff. It's very important. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and you're absolutely right. I think that people have asked me before, they're like, you know, why, why is everything just basically regurgitating what the government says as fact and why why does everyone seem to be just so excited about whatever elected official they get to interview and and to me what i concluded was that on some level it's about i guess access like we wouldn't necessarily um always i think networks in general wouldn't always necessarily go at the at the real heart of the story because they didn't want to lose access to that particular political official because what do you see on networks right now right like exclusive sit down with you know the president or the vice president and that network gets clout when they get to when they get to tout that type of headline um and so you know i think that that i think it's just as bad because all of a sudden you get the same situation that happens with politics and uh and and like wall street banks and politics kind of becoming interwoven and and they're there are some corrupt relationships there i think the same thing can happen with news and politics and and that really concerns me yeah, for sure. It all comes down to the incentives and how the incentives are constructed, right? Mm -hmm. If you're rewarded 
for you know, behavior that you know in previous generations might have been considered questionable you're going to get more of that behavior mm-hmm. it's just natural human nature all right i suspect that we have questions from the audience and the panel let's open it up a little bit we'll hit announcements here in about seven-ish minutes but um peter go ahead if you have something you want to ask or add yeah natalie uh thanks for thanks for coming great to great to hear you and i agree with alex i don't care what anybody says you're you're a great uh, representative for bitcoin as far as i'm concerned in a in a sea of sharks so my question <laughs> in regards you. to that is um you know obviously you have like 30 seconds or 20 seconds to to pivot and respond to um some of these uh things that are thrown at you that really you need to deflect and i was wondering how did you how did you learn how to do those pivots and do you practice those kinds of skill sets? Uh, that's a great question. I, I can't really practice because um, for the most part, I don't know what is going to be asked. I mean, I know the general topic, right? Because if I'm being asked to go on the show, I just I research what the current news stories are and I make sure that I, I, I know the the basic, um, you know, key points of the headlines. But really, it just comes down to for 10 years, that's what I trained doing every single day. You know, it's funny because a lot of people, they, they graduate with a certain you know, major in college and then they go off and do something else. Like maybe they have a philosophy degree and then they go into accounting or whatnot. I am literally doing the same thing or I was doing for 10 years what I was trained in college to do, which is every single day I would come in, I would be assigned a story or I would pitch a story. I would have eight to nine hours to complete that story. And at the end of the eight or nine hours, I would have to present it in the span of 90 seconds on television. And so I had to really learn how to caress the points, to to crystallize them to what's most important for the audience to take away. What are the most important facts that everyone needs to know to really understand the story um, and be able to to communicate it in a way that's effective and, uh, and concise. And so that's literally what I practice day in and day out. And every single day, the story would be different. So one day I might be covering a fire. The next day it would be an election. The next day it would be a council meeting. The next day it would be a red carpet. And it really gave me great training. And so what's interesting is, you know, I've mentioned, I've been a little jaded about journalism, but you know, to be honest, I actually really respect journalists, especially television broadcasters, because the job is very, very difficult. It requires you to just get, you know, you're, you're pounding your feet every single day, trying to chase down leads, trying to chase down interviews. Like I said, at night, you have to go on no matter what. So during the day, whatever you get, that's what airs. Like you have to get that interview. You have to knock on the door you have to try to get some form of information because when the clock, you know, hits six o'clock, the newscast comes on, you can't have a blank screen for your story. You have to, you have to have something to show and produce. So every night I walked away and I had at least a minute or 90 seconds worth of content that I created. Um, And, and what's interesting about that too, is when you think about it, you know, I worked nine hours during the day to produce 90 seconds. So think about, you know, some of that is just logistics. It's, you know, planning interviews, doing some research, getting to the shoot, making sure it's all taped and all of that. But a lot of it also means that the information you get, you might do like a two hour interview and you have to filter that down. And so you really learn what are the most important salient points that need to be made because you'll never have 
that much time unless you do a podcast, right? Or a Twitter space with an hour uh, of, of attention that you can, you can get, get from people. But, uh, but that's pretty much it. It's just practice. I think everything is practice and, and the skills that you build are, are, are really important, whatever uh, vocation you choose. And so for me, it just happened to be journalism and communication. Shane, I think you're next, man. Yeah. Um, Natalie, again, thanks for being on. Um, I'm curious, and it's probably somewhat related to what you just talked about. Obviously, you know, you just kind of shared how you prepare for a particular, um, you know, topic maybe that's going to air, that type of thing. But I'm curious more broadly how you just stay current on Bitcoin because there's so much information out there and so much good information out there. How do you... Uh, I'm just curious what kind of, in general, what you do. I mean, obviously there's all kinds of books and everything. It's just, how do you decide enough is enough? And then you move on with your day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's, it's really funny because I've basically picked two 24 seven careers, right? Like when I was in news, my phone would ring at two o'clock in the morning and I might have to get up to go to a story because some crazy thing happened. And now Bitcoin's price is 24 seven and things change and happen. So uh, so I'm, I'm really, to be honest with you, around the clock checking things because news changes in the matter of a couple of seconds and you can refresh your Twitter feed and something has broken. So I just I'm already in that habit, I think, because I was in news for so long and I check Twitter constantly. I before people, you know, I'm very new to this space. My podcast is officially a year old. And prior to me launching my podcast, I really spent years studying Bitcoin. And that's why I ultimately did what I did and and made the transition. I became super passionate because I saw things broken in the system. Uh, I experienced it myself. And if you guys know my story, my parents lost everything in the financial crisis of 0809. There were all first generation immigrants. I saw my parents work super, super hard. And once they were finally able to afford a mortgage and their first small house outside of Chicago, financial crisis hit and they went under. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And so I I was really predisposed to what Bitcoin is trying to address because of what my family suffered. And I felt, you know, as I reported for 10 years, I felt like there was this disillusion of the middle class and this disillusion of like economic opportunity for the labor, for the laborers, for the majority of people in this country that are just like going to their job and trying to feed their families. And I, I started to, when I discovered Bitcoin, I started to finally, again, connect the dots and I had to go down that rabbit hole and really understand because like so many people that are in the audience that I, that I think about when I go on television, so many people may have heard about Bitcoin, but they were like me at the beginning of my journey where they were skeptical, they were confused, they thought that it could you know, be a scam or they, it was like gambling. And you, you have to do the work. You have to, it's like proof of work applies to us as well. And so I spent years reading books and listening to the other podcasts that are out there and the shows and finding the big voices who I ended up asking to be on my show. And that's what has informed everything that I've done. And so I continue to follow up. Like, I, I feel like I have the basic knowledge, right? But we're all, always learning. And there are always new developments that I'm monitoring on Twitter and different uh, outlets like Bitcoin Magazine, which is obviously one of the reasons why they're they're doing hard money with us, um, because they're a fantastic outlet for information. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a voracious consumer of news. So, so I pretty much do it every day. And I think that's why I tend to be prepared. Worth. 
thanks thanks for dropping in today and sharing your story. You answered my question. I was curious about when you first learned of Bitcoin and, and kind of what was your aha moment? What was the catalyst? And and uh, my apologies, I didn't know uh, that aspect of your story, but it sounds like your family situation was was a driver to to uh, learn more about Bitcoin and its attributes. And then once you dug in, it sounds like you just continued to to uh, dig deeper as we all have. So I, I think uh, I think that my question was answered. But I just want to say thank you. I support you. I think you do an excellent job. And I think I tweeted to you one time in response to something that's ironic in our lives, how we, when we look back in time, um, everything that we did prepared us for what we do next. And mm -hmm. um, so hats off to you. I appreciate that so much. And yeah, if any of you guys want to know more about my story, I mean, the, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because my family is the definition of the pursuit of the American dream. And I really feel like Bitcoin represents a renaissance of the American dream. And, um, and, and you know what, different countries dreams like right now, one of the stories that we'll be covering in hard money is El Salvador. We're really, we, we went there um, a few times and we're seeing the Bitcoin adoption in real time. And we're seeing the areas that are skeptical and, and, and having issues with things like the Chiba wallet and the areas where it's really immersed in the economy, like Bitcoin beach. And they're dreaming the El Salvador dream because of Bitcoin. And so if you want to learn more about my story, like I did an interview with Peter McCormick about it. And I've written an article for Bitcoin magazine. But I mean, all, all of us have a story and that's what's so beautiful. That's what drew me to journalism as well. And so with hard money, you know, like I mentioned earlier for the folks that are, are signing on now, it's going to be headlines and it's going to be analysis and cool interviews and all of that, but also stories, stories. Like I, I did a package, a news package is basically a news story that's, you know, a couple minutes long. That's what I used to do. And so we're going to be doing some really great ones that were shot beautifully by the Swan Studio team. And I'm really, really excited for, for the opportunity to create some real value uh, in this type of format for, for the Bitcoin community. All right, so we're going to pause here for a second, hit some announcements, and we're going to keep rolling. If you're in the audience and you have questions for Natalie, you can come up here on the stage, just request to come up. If you want to ask the question in text, you can join our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Our crew is constantly monitoring that Telegram. They'll forward your questions to me. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is the place for your morning news. Well, it's going to be one of the places as soon as Natalie's show goes live. <laughs> a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds of Bitcoin to come chill, talk about what's going on. Uh, it is also a podcast up on Spotify, Apple. You can throw myself a follower, Swan Bitcoin, to be notified of when those drop. Mark your calendars. In November, the Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming. It's going to be in Santa Monica, California. It's going to be awesome. We should have a link up in the nest where you can get more information. You can go to packbitcoin.com. That's packbitcoin.com. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin, specifically in the Swan Private Division. If you want to know more about that, you can shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. I'm going to bring you up, Lisa. I see you there in the audience with your hand up, Mark. I'm bringing you up as well. While Lisa and Mark are coming up. Natalie, there's a question from the audience here. You know, earlier before you came, we were talking about how Bitcoin is like a crucible, right? It kind of refines us. There's that saying, Bitcoin changes you, changes your values, and kind of refines your character, I think. And one of the things we were talking about is, is that moving forward, politicians are going to be basically defined by Bitcoin because it is a mechanism for freedom. It's a mechanism for financial security for people. It's a mechanism for financial sovereignty. So when a politician gets up and stands against Bitcoin, really what they're standing against is freedom and financial inclusion and financial security for people. So that's going to be an interesting thing that, that we get to witness. Here's the question. This is from Tarek Saad. A lot of commercial media diminishes the sense of social responsibility to empower the interest of the newsmakers. As a Bitcoin proponent, what is your benchmark on social responsibility and how do you maintain it? It's an interesting question. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the central ethos of Bitcoin is exactly that principle. And I think that's why we need uh, media outlets that are very well informed about this technology network in order to be able to write the, the appropriate headlines, produce the type of show that is needed and capture the stories that are happening around the world. And I think that it's really important, like I mentioned earlier, to hold people accountable, especially the powerful. And that's what Bitcoin is aiming to do in and of itself. And so I think it's important to shine a light on that. That's one of my priorities with all of the content that I do. I think certain questions need to be asked. And guess what? We don't, we're not beholden to some, you know, like mainstream network corporation. So we're we're able to maybe go in the direction that other outlets won't touch. And for me, I, 
when it comes to political powers, I, I, I view Bitcoin as apolitical. I think it's the one thing that can maybe bridge that divide finally. And I, I hope that it continues to be a more and more bipartisan issue, even if we've seen more legislators on one side sort of get the message before others. Um, and that's one thing, again, I also want to make sure that we focus on with this show and my other content is making sure that we're following the education of these policymakers, because I really do believe that people, for the most part, run with very good intentions. They want to help their communities. But it's a system that has it's, it's ripe for corruption because of how our financial system and incentive structures work. Um, but I think we, I think they should be always given a chance. And I think we should make sure that they're educated, right? We don't want orange-washed politicians like maybe Mayor Eric Adams was because he claimed to love Bitcoin and then he was against Bitcoin mining. And it's like, well, have you done the homework, sir? Uh, so, so I think it's really good to be constructive and help shine a spotlight on the education efforts to engage with policymakers on both sides to make sure that they're making the right decisions and they answer the questions and they are well-versed in Bitcoin. But then also, I'm going to say, like, it gets to a certain point where some of these folks have had opportunities, Elizabeth Warren being one of them, and it's like some people don't want to listen. And at that point, you really need to hold those um, individuals' feet to the fire and hold them accountable for not engaging, for not opening up their ears and eyes, because this is something that would really help their constituents that, you know, crosses the, the lines of, of color, background, politics, all of it. And I, I just think it's really important for us to focus on it and focus on it in a really thoughtful, neutral, balanced way. All right, Lisa Huff, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning, Natalie. It's fun to be with you in Oslo a couple weeks ago. Yes, hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, doing great, thanks. You know, I'm really touched, and you told me when we were in Oslo, you told me your story about your family, and, and it's just such an interesting place to be. Um, my family situation is not dissimilar to yours. Um, the timing is a little bit different, but for me, I really found that Bitcoin was the on-ramp to understanding the traditional financial system and to understanding money, but I think I was just acutely hurt or confused or, you know, whatever the right word is, maybe my lens was a little bit cleaner because of my family situation. And so my question for you is the people that you speak to, how many people do you speak to, do you feel like come from a similar type story? Because I, I feel like when, you, when you've maybe had some sort of um, financial stability and then it's gone away, it could be as painful as not having any and then seeing Bitcoin as hope for the first time. But in your experience, the people that you're talking to, does this come up much? Yeah, you know, I think that that's a fantastic question and point because, you know, when we were at the Oslo Freedom Forum, one of the biggest um, aspects of, of the Bitcoin conversations was the proliferation of Bitcoin in developing nations that really need a, a stronger form of currency and they need access to something that will subvert even higher inflation than we, than we experience here and subvert oppressive regimes. And it's really it's really powerful how it's been transforming communities and how the adoption has actually been growing faster in, in, in many ways. And I, I find that to be really inspiring because I have noticed that people like me who have suffered from financial struggle or have encountered the, 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 the dark side of the financial system, they tend to get Bitcoin a little bit faster because they need to. And that's, I think, what's happened in developing nations. They need Bitcoin. Whereas, you know, depending on what background you come from in the U.S., if it's one of more financial privilege, you, you might not understand the importance of the technology network until you dig in a little bit. But in general, I want to take that one step further and say that our, when I learned about Bitcoin and when I finally understood why everything happened in the financial crisis that had my family lose everything, I realized how poor our financial literacy in this country is. And when I finally read things like the Bitcoin standard and understood the difference between Keynesian economics and how that proliferates in all the universities and education systems in our country versus Austrian economics, I was like, wow, how, how, have I, how has this information been hidden in plain sight for me this entire time? I never knew. I never learned this. You know, I took, I went to good schools. I went to good um, public schools and, and, and universities. And I never learned the difference about this. I never really learned about inflation. I didn't learn about how our financial system is set up and maybe why the big bubbles and bursts uh, have happened in the past. And so Bitcoin really helped draw me to that. But you're right. I was predisposed to it because I wanted to understand why my family lost everything. And some of my, my peers, for sure, they haven't maybe, the light bulb has not gone off for them because even though they might be frustrated with the cost of everything going up, they, their family, their, ba their background is they've never really truly suffered financially. Um, and so I, I just think it's, you know, it depends on the person because everyone comes to Bitcoin with a different vantage point. And I think that's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about it. That's a really great point. And there's a saying, right? Everybody is either running from something or running to something that financial pain is becoming more acute, I think, around the world. Um, okay. Just saw a headline today, the inflation rate in Turkey is now over 73.5%. 
gas in LA just hit eight dollars and five cents, um, and it's forcing people, I think, to wake up to this stuff. Yeah. Mark, good morning. Uh, good morning, Alex, and good morning, Natalie, and um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I just wanted to, well, first of all, say thank you for all your work. But um, my question is, um, there are there are so many excellent women in this space, um, from yourself and Lisa and Lynn and so many others, B plus plus that I've learned from and so many continue to learn from. But my question is, do you see that there? Do you do you think that there is a disproportionate representation of, of women in the space as leaders? Do you see it as a as a challenge to overcome right now? And um, I mean, from my perspective, I, I especially value women in this space because I think that a lot of women are such excellent communicators. Um, but from your perspective, do you see that something that as something that you're trying to address or um, or are aware of? Thank you. Yes. Uh, absolutely. I am really proud to be a woman in this space. I, I am super happy if someone says, hey, that's that's a woman in Bitcoin. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. I'm very proud to be one. And I want to encourage more women because one thing that I noticed, and, and I think you'd be blind to, to not recognize it, is when you go to these events or when you go on one of these Twitter spaces, if you look at the audience, it's mostly men. And that's fine. You know, I think that the technology network, um, it, it tended to attract people who are into gaming and engineering and had a finance background or computer science. And those industries typically are dominated by men. But I think that women love to, you know, look up to other women, to learn from other women, to form communities with other women. And so the more that we have, the more we will, you know, create and encourage. And so I, I'm really, I'm really hoping that I encourage more women to be in the space. And I really look up to the strong female voices like Stacey and Lynn and um, all of them. I mean, I've, I've been able to make some really great friendships and, and learn so much from the other women in the space. And that's not a knock on, you know, the men at all. I think that it's really important to, to form groups where you identify with, um, with similar backgrounds. And, 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 you know, I, I've always been a, a woman's woman. So I love being around other women and I'd love to encourage them in any way that I can. Um, and so I, I just think, again, so going back, it's like Bitcoin's for everyone. Bitcoin is for men, for women, for the old, for the young, for the boomers, for the millennials for the the every race for every political you know affiliation i think that that's what's beautiful and if you want to form a group based on your own identification with a certain type of community and you want to encourage other people in that community to be bitcoiners great like i'm a huge believer in freedom and in free markets and in expressing yourself so i yeah I'm, i hope that answers your question because I, I i respect when there are other women who say hey don't point me out as a woman in bitcoin just say i'm in bitcoin or whatever a voice in bitcoin but i on the other hand i'm really proud to be a woman in bitcoin all right lisa yeah, that, that's an excellent question. In my experience, there, women have not had easy, as easy of access to the financial system as men, right? In in the history of time, and I think that's played out because you know traditionally in the you know after after World War II when everybody came home, women stayed home and men went to work, and so mortgages were in men's names, you know other financial arrangements were in men's names. Um, clearly, that has changed. But if we look at the demographics and we look at where financial services are available to women and minorities, we see that they're still some disparity in those numbers. That is the beauty of Bitcoin. That it is mm -hmm. the, fir the first time that every person, regardless of your social status or demographic amount of wealth that you have, it's available to everybody. Everybody's vote is equal. And so I love being a woman in Bitcoin. I love I love it when people say that. Oh, we need more women in Bitcoin. I am like you, Natalie, like I am a woman woman. You know, I just happy to happy to be along for this ride because I think it's it's glorious. And I always ask people, you know, at the Houston Bitcoin meetups or Austin BitDevs, like bring your girlfriend, bring your wife, yeah. like bring your mom. Right. Like we just need to keep sharing this message because it's yes, Bitcoin is complicated, but it's not overly complicated. You can come at it from a humanitarian standpoint, a philanthropic mm -hmm. standpoint, you know, just sound money. There are just many ways to bring people into the equation, whereas I think traditional finance, you know, it's almost like people pursue an economics degree or an MBA or mm -hmm. they work for a bank or, you know, I mean, you're just you're kind of your on ramp into getting interested is, is a different path. And, and that ain't the case no more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and two points to make on that, you know, um, women actually tend to be the financial decision makers in a lot of families. <laughs> so I think it's important for them to be uh, very educated on Bitcoin and, and this investment class and, and really just the opportunity for savings. And number two, as you mentioned, um, the financial inclusivity and access, I, I found some of the most inspiring stories have been around the world with women in other economies and developing nations who have been able to um, to achieve economic opportunity and freedom as a result of Bitcoin. There's, you know, just one story that comes to mind. Uh, I've had her on my podcast and she was at the Freedom Forum uh, where Lisa and I were, Roy on the boot who's from Afghanistan. She's one of the first female CEOs, uh, tech CEOs there. And she started paying women in, in Bitcoin back in 2013. And some of those women, you know, in Afghanistan, they couldn't have bank accounts. Uh, they couldn't really, they, they didn't really have financial permission for anything without without their husband's approval. And they couldn't they couldn't uh, secure loans or, or have any access to the financial system. And then Bitcoin came along. And some of these women were able to actually take care of their families or some of them were able to leave their, their husbands who they basically felt oppressed by because of Bitcoin and how much it appreciated. So, I mean, some of these stories are really inspiring from around the world. And, and like you mentioned, I think financial inclusivity for all is what we're, we're what the goal is. It's interesting. If you think about the billions of people that have basically been excluded from the legacy financial system because they don't have necessarily an address that they can use to pass KYC or KYC and AML type stuff. All of the hoops that you have to jump through in legacy finance just to be part of the system. And so many people have been excluded from that. And now we have Bitcoin where the future is bright for a lot of these folks. All it really takes is, you know, you get a phone, you put an app on the phone, it's free. You know, people send you Bitcoin. You can send Bitcoin. There's no gatekeepers. You don't need anybody's permission. There's a lot of people in the world who that terrifies, right? Those folks who want to have control of everybody's financial sovereignty. Because that's essentially what gives them a job. (laughs) Take note. This thing's coming down the pipe. It is like a freight train. And uh, it just keeps bringing me back to this thing about you're either going to stand with it or you're going to stand against it. And people are going to figure this out. If you're standing against it, it's not a good look. Not a good look, Lisa. Well, and, and if you're against it, you don't understand it, right? That's, that's what I've been saying. Yeah, 100%. If you are against Bitcoin, you really don't understand it. Well, yeah. there's two there's two potential aspects of that. If someone does understand it and still stands against it, well, then we know what they are. If they don't understand it, that just means they need to learn. Bitcoiners are super happy to, to share and try to educate. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, no, I was just a uh, personal story this morning. I shared a taxi. I'm in London, and I shared a taxi with um, a, an investment banking uh, associate, um, an acquaintance of mine, and you know, I asked him if he had any exposure to Bitcoin and he said just a little bit, you know, like 500 bucks, um, you know, still wasn't sure about it still, you know, and he, and he lodges all of these, uh, you know, sort of fear, right. All the fear that we always hear. And I'm like, okay, well, so how do you have it? Oh, I, you know, I just have it on Coinbase. I'm like, okay, well, do you know how a, a hot wallet works? Um, non-exchange related. And he says, no. And I'm like, okay. So I take a, basically a cue from BTC sessions who in Oslo sat a room full of people down and had them download the moon wallet and then had everybody send uh, Bitcoin, you know, either Bitcoin or through the Lightning Network, because on Moon you can do uh, both. And Jimmy Song was walking around giving people Bitcoin, and everybody was sending it to one another. So we're in this taxi. This guy downloads the Moon Wallet. I send it to him. You know, I send him a couple bucks of Bitcoin. His eyes get wide open, right? He's like, "That's it." I'm like, "Dude, that's it, right?" Like, it, it out to be so <laughs> that's it. And it's, it, I mean, he he literally he literally could not believe it that it was in his Moon Wallet from my Moon Wallet to his Moon Wallet in like two seconds. And, and I did the same thing with uh, a fellow in Germany. I'm participating on a panel Friday um, in Madrid. And the, all the panelists the other day, they were saying, oh, it'd be really helpful if you'd bring a slide and show people what a wallet looks like. And I was like, a slide? Well, I'll just ask everybody at the beginning, like, just download, you know, this wallet. I'll walk you through it. And then at the end, we'll do a little round table and we'll send, you know, again, inspired by Jimmy Song, we'll send Bitcoin to one another. Well, the panelists and I did it over our Zoom call. I mean, it was phenomenal. Like their eyes light up, right? They're like, it's, it's here already. You just sent me two euros of Bitcoin. I'm like, yes. Right? It's incredible. Yeah. And, and interestingly, that required no one's permission. You didn't need a bank to do that. You didn't need PayPal to do that. You didn't need anybody to no, do that. It's just incredible. complete peer-to-peer money with no gatekeepers. It's beautiful. 
All right. We got about six minutes left in the show, so let's go with final questions. And then as we move to wrap up, we'll let Natalie take a couple minutes for closing comments before we wrap. Go ahead, Shane. Natalie, just curious. Oh, by the way, first of all, I'll say what Lisa did definitely works. I, I was able to do that with a security guard at, at Miami 2022. But uh, you know, Natalie, I'm just curious, you know, given where we're at right now, a lot of people wondering if we're going to go into a recession, if we're already in a mild recession, all the things. Do you think that your show, there's so much you know, to cover. Do you, do you see yourself you know, spending some time on that over the next several months, given how worried so many people are about that? Maybe not Bitcoiners, but the general populace. Absolutely. So I definitely want to drive home the point that this is a Bitcoin and greater economic picture show. Uh, we want to bridge that gap because we feel that the other shows out there are just not doing that. The, so if you go to, you know, there, there are some great programs out there when it comes to financial news, following the markets. And I think that some of the shows are even doing a great job pointing out the problem with the money printing and, and everything that's happened with the Federal Reserve. But none of them are making that connection to Bitcoin. And that's what we want to do. So you're going to get, we're going to tackle the latest inflation numbers, everything coming out of the Federal Reserve, what's happening with the, the, the bigger picture, because, you know, we have to acknowledge that Bitcoin has been tied in, in, in many ways to, to equities and the NASDAQ has been closely correlated. And, and we hope that changes in the future and we expect that. But we think it's really important to provide that context and layer in really thoughtful analysis on the bigger macro picture. Um, so that's what we're going to focus on. And I, I do think that we, by, by all indications, we are already in, in a recession. And I think that, like Lynn Alden said in, in my last interview that I had, and I'm sure she, she's going to be on the show several times because she, she's a she's a swan proponent. Um, she has said that this, this is going to be a very inflationary decade, you know, stagflation. And I think the Fed is going to have a difficult time um, trying to to pivot because we're they're basically going to have to pivot while inflation is still high because otherwise something's going to break and the whole system could come crumbling down. So I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I think it's an amazing time to be covering these stories and to educate the public. I really want this to be a program that is friendly to people who don't understand Bitcoin at all, as well as those who love it and are very educated in the space. So um, I hope everyone, you know, shares it with their, their friends and family. Good. Wicked. Hey, um, thanks for coming up here, Natalie. Uh, I have a question. So, you know, with you, with you being um, one of the spokespeople for Bitcoin, <laughs> who's on the news, you know, uh, phone call. Sorry about that. One of the spokesperson for Bitcoin uh, reaching across the aisle, reaching the masses. Um, I was wondering, you know, like, is it important to talk about the limitations of Bitcoin and be realistic when we're communicating with the masses? Um, I think primarily I'm concerned about this idea of most people not really being able to have custodial Bitcoin. Uh, I think there's technical limitations. And so when we talk about Bitcoin as being kind of this freedom tool, um, I think we have to be very careful with, you know, the current state of it uh, and not oversell it, you know? Well, I agree. And I think that this needs to be a, a thoughtful show that is educational and informative as opposed to a commercial for Bitcoin. And so we need we need to tackle the developments that are happening at the rate that they're happening um, and, and be honest about all of it. And, and that means that we recognize the challenges that are before us, but also the triumphs and, and the great projects that are happening. And I, I just think that this, this is an immense opportunity to, to teach people. Um, and, and obviously, I, I've always been someone who has who has said in my own content that I think that the idea of becoming your own bank is something that you know, not everyone's going to want to be, and there's going to be solutions that are created as the as the network grows. And I think that there needs to be outlets that follow those those solutions and proposals very closely. Great response, thanks. <laughs> All right, last chance for questions or comments before we go with closing comments. Cool. This has been a great show. Um, I've really enjoyed this. It's been uh, very interesting to find out more about what's going on with what your plans are, Natalie. Um, we'll give you a couple minutes if you want to make some closing comments about the show. How can people find out more about it? When are you launching? All of the uh, the deets. And then we'll wrap. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. I'm really excited about this show. Again, it's called Hard Money. It's being produced by Swan Studios in partnership with Bitcoin Magazine. You'll be able to find it on the Bitcoin Magazine YouTube page. It's going to be a weekly show, about 20 minutes long. We're going to cover the headlines that are the latest developments within the Bitcoin space, as well as the greater economy. We're going to have original reports from around the world. We're going to have exclusive interviews. And I think it's going to be a really value-driven show uh, for this space. It's not a crypto show. It is a Bitcoin show that I'm really proud to be a part of. And we plan to launch uh, later this month. So please follow Hard Money Show on Twitter. You can also follow me for updates at Napernell and, uh, and, and really 
to thank you for, for the opportunity. Um, and if you have story ideas, you have headlines that should be covered. We have a team that is working very hard to create this show, to produce it really, really well. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Chris, uh, any thoughts, comments, announcements from Bitcoin Magazine? Yeah, no, uh, thank you, Natalie. Um, I'm really looking forward to the show. I know I've seen snippets of it already from the, the Swan team. So really looking forward to it. Uh, speaking of women in Bitcoin, we have uh, Bitcoin Magazine Live at 1 p.m. Eastern today. Uh, we're going to be having Nifty Ney. Uh, she's a Blockstream engineer, specializes in Lightning. So we're going to be talking to her, interviewing her for 90 minutes about some of the cool things. Obviously, we all know about the Lightning Network and its uh, innovations. We're really excited to see what she's working on and the improvements uh, with Taproot coming out, how it affects it. So really looking forward to that, as well as doing news and notes. So that's it for me. Rock and roll, that's a wrap. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday, start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin, the place to get your morning news, as well as a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds of Bitcoin to talk about what's going on. This is a podcast up on Spotify and Apple. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin to follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine, sponsors of the show, my crew, and Shane, Sats for Life. Producer Jacob, by the way, congrats. Jacob, Jacob's not here today. He just got married. He's over Woo. in Greece doing the honeymoon thing. He'll be back in about a week. But I uh, appreciate what you guys do. Thanks again, Natalie, for coming and hanging out. Thanks to all the speakers who show up on the show on a regular basis to teach people about this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan Bitcoin. You can shoot me a DM if you want to learn more about that. And then finally, get on the mission, people. If you don't know what that means, come hang out. You will figure it out soon enough. Love all of you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. Crush it. <laughs>